I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Starting Out. Digiday's podcast where I talk to the leaders in the marketing industry about their personal stories that make them the prominent voices and decision makers in the business today. My guest on today's show, Aditi Javeri Gokhale, the CMO of Northwestern Mutual. Aditi joined NM after the finance giant acquired LearnVest, where she led marketing. The title is not new for her. She's been at small and big companies before. But this was a chance to craft her own job description and overhaul Northwestern Mutual's brand awareness and practices. On this episode, we discussed why people are more comfortable talking about sex rather than money, how she's intent on moving marketing beyond a support function, and her quest to take back control. So one of the most interesting things to me is that you sort of were the you were the first chief marketing officer at Northwestern Mutual when you got that job. What was it like going into a company that had never had a chief marketing officer before and saying, hi, I'm here? <laughs> I sort of crafted my own job description, right? Because they didn't have a chief marketing officer. So I got the advantage of sort of figuring out as the first chief marketing officer for Northwestern Mutual, what are some of the areas of opportunity? What are some of the challenges? And how do I sort of make an impact? So I think that was the exciting part of it. Um, you know, Northwestern Mutual is a large company. It's a Fortune 100 company. Um, you know, it's been around for 160 years. LearnVest was a startup. But my experience has been both with small companies and large companies, right? I've worked at other Fortune 100 companies. So that was not the part that was intimidating by any standards. I think it was just amazing that I got this opportunity to work in a company like NM, Northwestern Mutual. Um, and so I took on the offer. So let's let's go back because I think I want to talk a little bit about actually going to LearnVest after having worked at, and you did work at many, many very big companies before. Um, tell me about sort of, you know, going to LearnVest after the experiences you'd had before um, and what you what the mission was at LearnVest at the time before the acquisition happened. Sure. So the mission was fairly similar to the mission of Northwestern Mutual, right? The LearnVest mission is financial planning uh, for all consumers. For me, I think what attracted me to LearnVest and to Northwestern Mutual both was the aspect of financial planning. The way I think about it, Shireen, is um, I look back at my work experiences and I asked myself, where did I find the most growth from a personal perspective and passion? And I think there are two areas that really are meaningful to me. Um, I'm a mom of a sixth grader. And so I think health and financial security are sort of so basic to the way I think about things in my own personal life that I think that is the mission of financial planning and financial security at LearnVest and at Northwestern Mutual. I think that's what attracted me because I could relate to that category and I could relate to the need. Yeah. And money's interesting. I think I was yep. listening to um, I was listening to a great podcast recently um, that's all about sort of women and money. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the people on the podcast said, you know, Americans are more comfortable talking about sex at work than they are talking about money. And they're they're just not comfortable in a way that's actually financially unhealthy and right. can get very, very problematic. Right. And I think that sort of delves nicely into this idea that everyone keeps talking today about that when you're doing brand marketing, you've, mm -hmm. it's not about just selling the stuff. It's about you have to have a purpose. You have to have this mission. It has to be mm -hmm. something beyond doing the sales and actually getting the bottom line. How much of that do you think is playing a part now in NM? And is it more than it has been in the past? 
NM has always been a mission-driven company from the very beginning. In fact, interestingly, um, life has come full circle. I bought my first product when I was 25 years old with Northwestern Mutual. So I've been a consumer of their services and their products for a very long time. What'd you buy? Yeah, <laughs> I bought life insurance. So, um, you know, uh, it is a mutual so that's the other part of the mission. I don't know if you know what that, you know, being a mutual means that you basically report to our policyholders. You're not a public company, it's private. You don't report to shareholders. And so uh, that in itself inherently creates a mission to do right by your customers, right? So I think the mission has always been there. Um, I think to me, financial planning, which is much broader than the products and the services, what is financial planning? How do consumers think about it? Like you said, uh, people don't like to talk about money. When we did our consumer research, consumers feel overwhelmed. They feel anxious. They don't want to talk about money because sometimes it's sort of like, do I have more? Do I have less? Right? We all we all think that through. Like you go to these parties and you're like, what does this person make to afford this kind There's of a party? There's always somebody There's more. Always somebody, right? So so breaking down those barriers and overcoming those fears is is part of what I think is my job as a marketer, right? It's not about selling. It's about connecting with your audience, and that's the piece of the job that I was very excited about. So then. Then let's go back to kind of starting mm -hmm. at NM. You, you, it wasn't the legacy or the the big company thing that was intimidating or even new to you, right? But what what was new was sort of working working at a company that had never done marketing. They had done marketing. They didn't have somebody doing it full time. They didn't have somebody leading right. marketing like yeah. you had. Why didn't they? Wasn't marketing important before you joined? No, I don't. I think the department of marketing was fairly new within Northwestern Mutual. I mean, historically, the num the company is known to be. It was called the Quiet Company, so there wasn't a lot of branding and advertising that was done. This was many many years ago. Was that strategic? That was strategic. Yeah, and Why? it is also a company that was. You know, it's an advisor led company. We've got eight thousand advisors, so much of the connection points were through the advisors. So the marketing department was much more of a support function, and so when we started thinking about okay how do we think about Northwestern Mutual and some of the work that we're doing around our client experience the uh, you know our CEO felt that we needed to have marketing as a as an important aspect of that strategy and they needed to have an executive to have a seat at the table so not only you know was I the first uh, chief marketing officer but I'm also now part of the senior leadership team which is the management team that sort of is you know has influence over what the company strategy is so he definitely felt that marketing played an important part and so part of my uh, vision is to evolve marketing from being a support function to a strategic asset for the company and to a growth driver for the company. The funny thing is you're you're not the first CMO on this podcast to actually say that. Um, <laughs> we had it's, And it's interesting that that kind of idea of like marketing evolving beyond the support function seems to go across categories. We had Marcel Mercondes, who's the US CMO at Anheuser-Busch um, here a couple weeks ago. And it was it's the exact same thing. I, I, marketing is to evolve beyond being a support function. Why is that happening, sort of stepping back from NM? Why is that happening seemingly across categories? What has been the big shift that people are now thinking, okay, marketing is more than these very functional tactical things. It has to be part of a bigger strategy. Well, I think, I think what, 
what has happened over the last few years, and I think there is more to come in the next five to 10 years, is the fact that you've got technology and data that play very critical roles in the way you connect with consumers. I wondered when we would first say data on this podcast. <laughs> for those know. of you who don't know, he's a big data fan. <laughs> so for me, I think, um, you know, moving marketing from a support function to a strategic asset meant that you've also pr- got to prove your ROI through data. Right. And that now is the access to it is much more easy now with the kind of tools and technology that you have versus what you had about 10 years ago. So part of what I'm also doing in terms of my marketing strategy, you know, gone are the days that it was just around branding and advertising. So we've completely pivoted our marketing plan from moving from just brand awareness to brand awareness and activation. And so looking at our entire funnel through data um, and making sure we're getting the right return on investments and also meeting our customers through the right channels. So that's easier now, and it's only going to be easier going forward than it used to be. And I think that's been a big shift when it comes to CMOs thinking about sort of new ways of connecting with your consumer. Break that down for me a little bit. When you say sort of technology and data, those those are two very big buckets. But when you're saying data, what kind of data? For me and my team, we have... Uh, we look at the entire funnel, right, from awareness right up to consideration, to activation, all of that stuff. So we have KPIs across across each stage of the funnel, key performance indicators across each stage of the funnel. We track our customer journey end-to-end, right from the time someone looks at an ad, right, Uh, to the time that a sale is made or to the time that a connection point is made, whether it's meeting with an advisor, whether it is reading a piece of content or whether it's a sale, right? And so that data allows you a lot more transparency in terms of what's working, what's not working and attributing your spend based on those connection points. So I think that's becoming easier now than it was before. But it's not perfect. I mean, attribution is... Heavily, I mean, you still don't. At the end of the day, say your conversion is that right, sale, right. that dollar right. that they came from. You still don't know. We still don't know. Right. So it's not perfect. I agree with you, but I think it's better now than what I did fifteen years ago. Right. <laughs> sure. Thank God for that. <laughs> so I think that's where um, I think data plays a, a very important role. Now, you just mentioned this. I'm a complete geek, so it's not just about having data for the sake of having data, right? It's also insights based on that. So I keep pushing my team into, so yes, don't show me 50 slides of numbers. What does this do? What are we learning? What are the insights? And what are we going to do to improve our actions going forward? Mm -hmm. That's the piece that I think I'm focused on more in the next year than just getting data for the sake of Mm -hmm. it. Give me, give me an example, sort of something that surprised or has changed in especially kind of your sp- spend strategy because you learned something because of this data. So um, so I would say um, it was partly data and it was partly sort of a hypothesis going in. Um, you know, when I took on my role, um, I looked at the entire category, right? And that's just sort of what you do in any new role. You also interview your stakeholders. And what I realized is, Um, as you think about the category and as if you think about certain segments, we always, um, you know, we always uh, reached uh, men, women and families. But if you look at the category, there isn't any one company that is really connecting with women. And when it comes to financial planning, um, you know, I, me and my team, we sort of felt like there was this gap, a gap, which is an opportunity to go and target women in a more meaningful way. And was this a specific age 
category of women? Or I would say, no, I mean, it wasn't, it, I mean, the category is large, right? I joke about the fact that we happen to be half of the universe. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it was more sort of 25 to 54, but it also depended on the life stages. So there's a high correlation in between financial planning and the life stage. So starting a family is when people start thinking about financial planning, buying your first home, sending your kids to college. So we used uh, a lot of that data and also did a lot of qualitative sort of focus groups and realized that there is this entire segment this category that is not connecting with financial services companies as it relates to financial planning. And they were not interacting with sort of what was kind of the, the key points there, that they weren't interacting with some of your content or that the content simply was never reaching them? Was no, I think I think the fact is that women think about financial planning very differently than men do. Uh, women, uh, and we did a lot of research, both quals and quants, uh, women, uh, you know, um, they're anxious, they're overwhelmed, there's a fear of judgment. Uh, there's a lot of jargon that goes on within financial planning that women don't quite need. Uh, but interestingly enough, they make 51% of the financial decisions in the household. They are the daily money managers. Um, and they're very open about actually learning about financial planning. So it was a combination of these things where we said, you know what, we are actually going to be that company that is going to be connecting with women in a more meaningful way. So that's what led to our entire sort of strategy around creating ads for women, creating a women in careers section, creating social media just for women. Um, and we've seen phenomenal success. What about kind of, on a, you mentioned channels and mm -hmm. mediums earlier mm -hmm. too. Um, what have you found, especially in the digital space? Because I know you, you do a lot of, you still, you do a lot of TV, you mm -hmm. do a lot of spend on digital. What was surprising or new about where you spent your money on digital just in the last few, in the last year or so? As far as digital marketing in general, we are still in our learning stages when it comes to digital marketing. Like I said, our our department is you know new in terms of marketing in general, so we're still doing some of the foundational work. What I was really um, surprised about and happy about is that. You know, when it comes to financial planning, it, it, you know, there is a hypothesis that it is a long process in terms of from the time that you connect with whether it's an article or whether it's a piece of content of any sort to the decision making. And what we saw was that within certain channels, that was not the case, that there are people who are in the market who want to talk to an advisor right now if you connect them in a more meaningful way. What channels? So... Uh, you know, we, we've got uh, paid search, right? We've done very well on social media. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we've done well with specific types of content. So when you're in, you know, so sort of figuring out the market and, and segmenting the market based on what stage of the cycle you are in is something that we have started to do much better now. But that's sort of almost like bifurcated or trifurcated maybe even the group. Because was there kind of this understanding that, with financial planning, the customer takes longer and therefore you're almost looking at like a, a first touch to conversion point as being much, much longer, longer than, I don't know, than in beer. Than in beer, or right. In or in right. Pepsi Which or is Coke. not the case. Mm -hmm. Which was not the case. That was the initial hypothesis that that's a longer because it's money and because, you know, you're sort of, the, there is there is a trust factor that needs to come, but I think with the right piece of content or mm -hmm. messaging, you're actually able to overcome. So that people fit. might be on Instagram and shopping for I don't know a pair of shoes, but they might also be shopping for 
a new financial product? No, so I, I would not say, I, maybe that's not the right it wasn't. It wasn't literally an impulse. <laughs> it wasn't. I was wondering if you were going to tell me you were going to start some kind that. of subscription think, service now. No, I think, I think it has to do with how you connect with the consumer, right? So we have seen um, <clears throat> um, women in careers. So we have uh, pieces of content that we released. Um, you know, one which did very well is about a woman who had a setback in her career and she sort of, created an opportunity out of that setback and how financial planning, the right financial planning. So women were able to relate to that. And so we saw a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of interest uh, in wanting to speak to an advisor through such pieces of content. So what I'm trying to say is it's not about, you know, buying red shoes. It's not the same thing as buying red shoes. It is the fact that if you connect with them and if you really combat some of those barriers of fear, judgment, trust, uh, education, you're able to actually shorten the connection with the company in a much faster way. And a very quick break to tell you all about Digiday Plus, our very premium membership product. For $3.95 a year, you get Digiday Magazine, access to our fabulous members-only Slack community, member-only events, event briefings from Digiday Summits, and exclusive research, and lots, lots more. To find out more, visit digiday.com. Now, back to the episode. How about younger consumers? Because I think just, I mean, to go back kind of to the red shoes for a minute, I mean, a lot of a lot of what the disruption that's happening in sort of fashion and retail is also happening in financial services, happening a lot of lots of startups, lots of sort of companies that are coming and saying, actually, it's been so long that the legacy companies are very complicated. We're going to make it simple. And they do it with a simple UX. They arguably do it with the Instagramification of financial product. How much of those things are you watching as a marketer at a very old, very big company and saying, do we need to pivot and do we need to talk more and very differently to the Gen Z post market and how are you doing that so I mean we're watching it right and we we know that there are companies that are out there um that are um that are sort of trying fintech is the space um and we watch them we've made a few investments in some of them uh what I would say is that when I've looked at those companies they try to solve one piece of the issue, whether it's affordability, whether it's simplicity, right? Uh, the advantage that a company like ours has is the fact that we own the entire value chain from the manufacturing to the distribution, um, to the marketing, to the sales. So I think we are talking about a slightly different value proposition to some of the startups that are out there. I would say that we are watching, we are seeing what what you can learn, you can always learn, right? In terms of simple UXs, um, some of those have been um, integrated in some of the stuff that I've actually done. So we came up with a new consumer-focused website last year, a new northwesternmutual.com, and it's phenomenally successful, right? We're talking about triple-digit growth, double-digit growth in visits, triple-digit growth in leads. So yes, that. But but I do think that they're two different things. So you've talked a lot about content, um, mm-hmm. and I think that there was. I think two or three years ago, sort of the heyday of every market out of this thing. We're building out content studios. We're going to hire journalists. I got That's what I got sort of slightly worried. Uh, we're going to have newsrooms. We're going to have yes. editors. Um, the content conversation has changed, but it's still clearly very important to you as part of your marketing plan. Mm-hmm. But it's there's definitely been a shift in how important and also what kind of content we're talking about. I, I do think the days of sort of, we'll hire a bunch of actual reporters and then they will go and make news and it'll be just like the New York Times are over. Yes. 
Agreed. Okay. So the kind of content I'm talking about is simple, easily digestible content. Uh, again, connecting back to the consumer, what are consumers asking for? Uh, a big area of opportunity that we saw was we don't understand financial planning. When we spoke to consumers, we got a range of, oh, I know how to do financial planning. I have a spreadsheet. Or some of them showed us their computer with post-its on them, right? So some people think financial planning is paying your bills every month. Wait, it's not? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, we can have a separate session about okay, what that I is. Think no, we're but, so, so I think it is about education and um, what exactly financial planning is. It is about planning for your future, uh, saving for your retirement, but it's also figuring out your short-term goals, right? What do you want to do in the next five years, your 10 years? You know, if you have to take a kid through college, what does that mean? So it's fairly um, elaborate, but that's where consumers felt like, oh my God, we don't understand this. Can you tell us what that is? And so that's where content comes in. And you can't have like 10 pages of these are the 50 things you've got to do, right? It has to be easy to understand. When are we reading content? When we're on our way to work, in between our breaks, you know, that sort of a thing, right? So, so I think that's the kind of content that is connecting most with our consumers. I think one of the big themes about along with sort of marketing is going into a more strategic non-support function mm -hmm. is, is this sort of, and it dovetails with the same idea that marketers feel like they're taking back more control, whether it's of their content, they're doing, if they need to do more themselves, they're mm -hmm. doing more in-house. I know that you work with obviously agencies, I think GSDNM um, and I think others, mm -hmm. but how much more do you want to do yourself? How much more is sort of this theme of if we're going to have the direct connection to our customers mm -hmm. and we've sort of lost sight of that in the last few years and now we have all this data and all this technology and all these insights, we should be doing it ourselves. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you subscribe to? So I've always had this philosophy and it's worked well for me um, through my career is to have a hybrid approach when it comes to agencies. I'm not a big believer of outsourcing everything to agencies. Um, and frankly, from a um, efficiency perspective, I don't think it's, it's, it's uh, super intelligent to build out an entire in-house agency either. So, and it again depends on the needs, right? So I've always had a critical team, an in-house team, whether it's around media, whether it's around my creative, um, that, that are the subject matter experts. And then the agencies, we sort of have we work with them based on the projects uh, that we have at hand. So agencies, to my mind, what I expect from them is come up with some fresh ideas, fresh thinking, out-of-the-box thinking, right? But at the end of the day, uh, I'm not going to outsource my core competency to an agency. And I've been very vocal about this uh, throughout my career, and I, I feel that that hybrid approach has always helped us. What about in media especially? Because I think it's your money you're spending. And you know your customers. You just mentioned kind of paid search was really important in, in a new way, in a very unexpected way. For creative, makes sense. The agency will come up with a fresh creative concept that you might not think of because you're in the brand. But media seems sort of, to me at least, a pretty decent argument to be made that the marketer should do it themselves. Well, again, I think it depends on um, the, the kind of budgets you have. It also depends on your staffing, right? At the end of the day, I think where 
where I, the way I think about media and media spending, that's where my data stuff comes in. So I define how I want to see my media spend and the metrics that I want to see. The agency doesn't define that for me. And that's where my Did team- they used to? Um, I think historically they have, right? They've given you dashboards and spreadsheets and all of that stuff. And I sort of take control of that with my team, that this is what we need to see. And this is literally get down to the definition of what a KPI is. This is the way a KPI is going to be measured. And then have alignment with your agencies. And the insertion orders and the execution part, the agency they can, can take do. care of. Exactly. But the planning. Exactly. Is where it comes Absolutely. Down to. You can answer this with three words max. Okay. Ready? Consultancies as ad agencies. You know, I think I think it depends on the the type of company. I think there are certain companies, um, especially uh, some of the top five companies uh, that have created uh, sort of digital hubs, right? Um, and I think those are interesting. I've had conversations with some of them um, and worked with some of them in my prior life too. Uh, but again, I think it, I've got the same philosophy when it comes to agencies or consulting companies. When it comes to your core competency, you want to have it in-house. You can't outsource that. Yes. Ad fraud. <laughs> um, we've got to really figure that piece out. How much of that is sort of takes up, you know, your kind of mind space as you're looking looking at, you know, your spend, where you're spending money, efficiency, making sure it works? I mean, if, for me, what I've told me, my team and me, it's it's almost becoming part of our DNA. We look at it, you know, um, on, a, on a regular basis uh, just to make sure that we're doing the right thing, we're spending the right way. It's not something that I sort of allocate time. It almost has to be part of your DNA. Has it not? That's an interesting one because I think that's something I'm hearing from a lot of people yeah. that this just be, this is just part and parcel of digital marketing and stuff. Absolutely. But it wasn't before. It felt like it was sort of shoved under the rug and digital marketing came along. Well, we can, we can measure everything. I'm sure it's great. And there was quite a lot of sort of we have blinders on when it came to issues of fraud and how much is actually going where you think it's going that's right I think that was when it was new and cool and everybody wanted to so believe in it right that I think there was a little bit of sort of um even if it occurs, downplaying the aspect. But now when there is such scrutiny, uh, more so now in terms of ROIs and things like that, I think it's just becoming part of our DNA. Hardest part of your job? Uh, the hardest part of my job is, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's the hardest part of my job, but um, I think talent, just making sure I continue to recruit good talent which is, you know, in a market like this, which is so competitive, you know, um, unemployment is at its lowest levels. It's really tough to find good talent. Any specific part of the marketing function that especially sort of is, you know, has a harder time finding the right people? I think um, I would say it used to be digital marketing, but I think now not so much. For me, getting re really good brand marketers with the new lens of marketing, um, I think is becoming harder to find. Amazon. Don't say check it every day. Uh, Amazon, as a company. As a, as a marketing. As a, as as a marketing a company. Marketing I mean, I'm just amazed at their business model. You know, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of the company as a consumer too. Um, the fact that they started digitally and are sort of now going down the path of the traditional model um, and kind of taking over categories, um, uh, you know, it's just amazing. Their customer experience 
um, is something that um, I think is unsurpassed and they make it so easy. Their personal recommendation system, I could go on. That's Aditi Javeri Gokhale and that's it for this episode. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or Anchor.fm. I'm Shreen Patek. We'll see you next week. Thank you.